Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. There was a seven, seven and a half year old boy that uh, just your typical little boy run around play. And one day he was at the, in the basement where his bedroom was and he couldn't climb the steps. He was too weak. His mother was very, very concerned, obviously, and rushed him to the doctor, rushed him to the, ended up rushing to the hospital. Turned out he had a very serious illness, and it required him to stay in the hospital for about a month and continue getting treatment, actually, for years. And every day, uh, his mother would come up and visit. They lived out in the country. It was about an hour drive to get to the hospital where the little boy was staying. So every day in the early afternoon, his mom would visit, and of course that little boy looked forward to that uh, visit. But one day, mom didn't show up, and the boy started getting very, very lonely, even though he wasn't alone. There were five other kids in that room, because it was a shared room, and the little boy started to think, I guess my, my mom, my parents just forgot about me. And he started crying. And as any little boy, seven, eight-year-old boy would do, he didn't want the other kids in the room to see him crying. And so he spent the rest of the day with the sheet over his head with tears flowing from his eyes. That little boy was me. John chapter 1, verse 14 is the theme of our Verse uh, for the theme of the year, truth and grace, says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we have received. And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We're celebrating the incarnation. That's what Christmas is. Incarnation is just a big word that means God taking on humanity, human form, coming in the flesh. All right? Christmas is the celebration of that. Jesus came and brought something as a person to the world. And what he brought was grace and truth in a way that just the law, the message of truth, could never bring. I'm sure a nurse came in and told me, your parents love you, when I was that little boy under the covers. But it wasn't good enough to know an idea that my parents loved me. I needed my mom to come in the room. All right? And I was starting to believe that they just forgot me. They had a bunch of other kids. <laughs> it's funny when you think of it now, but it wasn't then. Well, they didn't forget me. Uh, she waited until my dad got off work, and both my mom and my dad came, and they actually brought me a gift. I still remember it, because I'd asked my mom. She asked me, is there something you want? And I said, well, I'd like a toy a pickup truck like Dad's. 
you know. And I can still picture it in my mind. It was over 50 years ago. It was a blue metal pickup truck. Wish I still had it. Uh, so they did come, but it was them coming that enabled me to know I was loved. In the same way, God communicated his love through the law, but it wasn't good enough. He came as a person, and he continues to come. Jesus Christ will come into your life to bring you the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. That's what this whole year is about. And Jesus, being the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace, it says, and of that fullness we have received. And the Bible says this. This is a truth. You may not feel it, but it's a reality. And so, since we've received the fullness of what Jesus had, we ought to be full of grace and truth. Right? We've taken the first year, uh, first half of this year, this whole year to talk about uh, grace and truth. We, we delved into what grace is, and then we've spent the last several months going deep about truth. And the goal is that each and every one of us would grow increase in grace and truth, that our lives would better reflect the grace and truth of God. And so I just want to ask you some questions. Are we more empowered by our study of grace and truth? Are we more empowered by our study of grace to overcome temptation? Remember, grace isn't just a free pass to sin. It's the power to overcome sin. And are we more empowered by grace so that we can better respond to circumstances or people that would have upset us or derailed us prior? Are we? We need to ask ourselves because Jesus was full of grace and truth and we've received that fullness. He personally delivered it just like my parents gave me that gift. He gives us this gift. We need to use that gift. We need to see that growing. Are we more equipped... Uh, with truth and agents of truth so that not only do we live more truthfully, uh, but that we influence those around us and we influence our community, we influence our society, our nation, our world to be more aligned with the truth as God represents it. And then let me just ask you, can you measure that? Can you measure if you're increasing in, in grace and truth? And if so, how would you measure that? How would you You know... <clears throat> If we just keep talking, and I shared this the last time I was here, if we just keep learning ideas, but we don't actually change how we live, we end up becoming better Pharisees, right? Nobody wants to be a Pharisee. It's not fair, you see. <laughs> Can we set personal goals? So that by this time next year, you'll be more full of grace, more full of truth, you know. We're going to move on. We're going to be preaching about other stuff. But we always need to grow in grace. We always need to uh, grow in truth. And we need to uh, learn how to increase that. And then, then does the Bible give us any instruction? Does it talk about, yes, of course it talks about in general, but specifically how we can see lives changed and our lives changed. Well, there's a scripture <clears throat> that I'm going to share that addresses this directly. And it's Paul, when he wrote to the church in Colossae, the Christians, which was a Greek city, 
um, he says, this same good news, or in other places it's translated the gospel, that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Wow. Just as it has changed your life. From the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's grace. All right? And so good news is described here as the truth, accurate understanding and declaration of God's wonderful grace, His mercy, His love, His compassion, and His power to produce change. <clears throat> and Jesus came personally to take upon Himself. So, so this is the deal. The good news is not just everything the Bible teaches. What Paul was referencing here, and in other places where the word gospel is used in the New Testament, it's not just biblical truth in general. It's not the Ten Commandments. All right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation to all who believe, right? What's he referring to there? The gospel, the good news. The good news is that uh, God in Christ came to redeem us from our sin. That Jesus took upon humanity for a purpose. He came, he taught, he taught good stuff, right? Are you happy Jesus taught and we could study his teachings? That's great. And he healed a lot of people, and that was wonderful. But his teaching and the demonstration of his power was just to get people's attention so that they would know who he was, that he was God incarnate. So that he could accomplish, so that they would realize he came for a purpose. And that purpose was fulfilled on the cross. All right, we're celebrating Jesus' birth and we're looking forward to Jesus' return in Advent and in Christmas. But we must remember Jesus' coming wasn't really the Christmas story, that was the beginning of it. It was the story of Easter. It was the story of the cross where he died on the cross. And the good news that changes lives is the fact that Jesus came into the room, into our world, and took our pain, took our guilt, took our shame, took the sin. He was sinless and he took our sin upon himself so that we could be given the gift of his righteousness. And if we, what's it say? If we hear and understand it, that's what changes lives. We hear it and we understand that Jesus Christ came and took our sin. That is the gospel. Christ died on the cross. And when we believe that, it has the power to change our lives. And listen, I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm a pastor, but that doesn't make me perfect. It's spelled different. I think I said that last time, didn't I? <laughs> well, I'm really emphasizing that. If you, if you want to know if I'm perfect or not, just ask anyone in my family, because they see the whole, the whole package, right? <clears throat> and so there's parts of our lives that aren't full of grace and truth yet. What do we do? There's, there's aspects of our life that haven't been changed yet. Well, this verse says that the good news, the gospel, the message of Jesus dying on a cross and taking our sin has the power to change lives. So if there's some area in your life 
that hasn't been changed, you need to preach the gospel to it. Okay? You need to evangelize yourself. All right? If there's an area of your thought life that constantly goes down the trail, that you're worthless, you're a scumbag, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're powerless to resist temptation, you need to say, no, Jesus died for that. And he rose from the dead to rescue you from that. Whatever aspect of your life, if you have problems relationally, you need to preach that part of your life. You need to bring Jesus into that part of your life so you're not alone there, but he's there with you and he has the power to change. Amen? Amen. Amen. Peter says it, uh, it addresses the same issue in 2 Peter um, chapter 3, it says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I, I love how, how real the scripture is that here Peter is uh, writing to the church. This is within a few decades of Jesus' resurrection. And already the church was getting things wrong. They had lost truth. And he was warning them. And when he says, knowing this beforehand, the verses before describe the return <laughs> that we're talking about and celebrating. Well, guess what? It comes. It's pretty scary. When he says, there's going to be, the elements will melt. The heavens themselves will melt with fire. You know, the judgment that's going to come. And, and, and everyone will, will, will face Christ. Even Christians. Not to determine whether or not we spend eternity in heaven. But the Bible says to answer for all the things that we've done in our body. And again, I don't know what that's going to look like. All I know is that there's going to be a reckoning where we have to face Jesus and that um, there's going to be a face-to-face encounter when he returns one-on-one. And he says, knowing this, don't, don't give in to error. Don't lose truth. Right? Don't get carried away with air of lawless people who, and lose your own stability. And I like that description of people who neglect the truth of Scripture and the truth of the gospel and, uh, and of grace, which leads to lawlessness or legalism. All right? the, the, the both ideas there are, uh, are, 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 are in this verse that there's, you can lose your stability by losing truth and become lawless. Lawless means you just do whatever you want. Right? Another way that's translated in the, like the King James Bible is licentiousness. It's a big long word. It just means you have license. You know, if you have a deer license, that means you can go out and kill a deer, right? <laughs> you have a driver's license, that means you can go drive a car, right? Well, some people think that they have license to do whatever they want. That's an error. That's lawlessness, all right? That's a misunderstanding of truth and grace. And uh, on the other hand, there's an imbalance of legalism. Thinking that you've got to abide by every rule or else God's going to come down with a hammer and nail you. That's not true. That's not grace. Right? And so there's this tension. It's like two uh, guide wires keeping you stable. Uh, you know, you see these big towers and they're, they're kept stable by the guide wires that... You know, they can't go too far in either direction because truth keeps them in line, grace keeps them in line. And that's how we stay stable in our walk with God and our walk through life. 
Uh, and it says in the next verse, he said, but, so don't lose truth, don't lose your stability, don't give in to lawlessness or legalism, but grow in grace and knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. And this word grow, it's a command to enlarge, like, like how they, in the dictionary it says, literally or figuratively, actively or passively. That means like any way you want to interpret it, that's what it means, okay? Get bigger in this increase, uh, or grow up, mature. So we're commanded to mature in grace and truth. It's a command of God. It's not an optional thing. Too many Christians come and and just buy, you know, they call it fire insurance. (laughs) You know, you say these words, and yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm not going to go to hell. But that's not Christianity. That's lawlessness. All right, we need, we are commanded to increase for how long? Our whole life. It's a constant pursuit of getting to know God better and becoming more like Him. But the good news is, when God commands you to do something, it's not a demand. There's a difference between God's commands and a simple demand. All right? Demands are something we have to meet out of our own resources. But God's commands, He gives us the creative power to do His will. When they're received, when we hear them in faith, it actually somehow supernaturally enables us, if you believe, you can do it. All right? Jesus' death and resurrection equipped us to walk in newness of life, it says in in Romans. We walk in a new life. Behold, all things are new. We are new creations. So we are enabled to fulfill God's commands because we mix those commands with faith. We actually believe it. And it's not our strength or our power but God's strength and God's power and God's righteousness dwelling in us that enables us to be people full of truth, to be people full of grace, to treat people differently than we would have if we were left to ourselves. All right? That's the gospel that changes life. And uh, growth comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. It's really important that we understand it's a relational. It's not... Uh, transactional, it's not informational, it's not, uh, what's the word, uh, where you just have an information that brings about change. Uh, (laughs) There's a word for it, I can't think of it. Uh, It comes through relationship. You can't learn it in a book, okay? You need to experience relationship, and Paul expresses this Really, I think the best when he's writing in Philippians. Remember, Paul was sitting in a prison cell in Rome when he wrote this, and with a death sentence at any moment, the guards could have walked on the uh, uh, hallway of the dungeon and opened the door and taken him out and cut off his head, which actually did happen a number of years later. He, he was he was uh, uh, released after this imprisonment, but he was ready to die, and he and, and he's writing to the church in Philippi. Uh, expressing his heart and he said yes everything else and everything in his life is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing christ jesus my lord 
And he wasn't talking about knowing him like as a philosophy. He was talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Waking up and realizing Jesus was with him every morning in that dungeon cell. Going to sleep every night, realizing that he wasn't alone in that dungeon cell. He'd, he'd learned to abound in a base, whether he had lots of stuff or whether he was, had nothing. He was content in Christ because he knew the person. What was worth the most was that relationship. And he says, for his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ, so he could grow, increase. He wanted to gain more Jesus and become one with him. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Let's just pause for a moment. Uh, One with God. This is one of those phrases that's real easy to make religious. I'm one with Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, is there any other relationship where that terminology is used? Oh, marriage. Yeah. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul writes and says marriage actually is an illustration of our relationship with Christ. All right? And so in marriage, we become one. We're one with our spouse. To a degree. Uh, Israel and Jessica, they're married. He's got his hand around her. They're one. They make babies. <laughs> they have family. It's fruitful. Right? It's life. And, and it's good. But you know what? It's actually not quite the same because they're one till death do them part. So this is like practice. But we're one with Christ eternally. So the difference between till death do you part and forever is the same amount of difference between being one with your spouse and the experience that you're called to have being one with God. Does that make sense? In other words, the level of intimacy that you have with your spouse is good, but it's nothing compared to the level of intimacy that you're invited to experience in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And what does it look like that you and Jesus are one? You know, and to me, this is an aspirational uh, goal. This is something I aspire. It's like, I hope I could say that someday. Because you know what? There's often times in my life, every day, where it's like, I look around, and I don't see much Jesus. <laughs> All right. But, the, but what we're called to experience, and even what Paul is saying, he's saying, this is my goal. And look what he had given up. He'd given up everything to the point of ready to die for Christ. And he's like, I'm not there yet. Actually, if you read past this passage, he says, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to continue to pursue. Pursue what? This living with Christ. So that everywhere we go, there's a, I believe it's truth. I can't go anywhere without Christ. But I'm not always aware of Christ. I'm not always behaving as though I'm one with him. 
But the power to behave that way is present if I believe it, all right? If I embrace the gospel and implement it so that when people meet me, they're meeting me and Jesus, all right? <clears throat> we can become one with him. I challenge you to consider how can you become and how can you demonstrate in your life oneness with Christ. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith, that relationship with Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And the best way to understand faith is relationship. It's a relationship of loyalty, a relationship of trust, relationship of obedience, but it's an actual relationship. It's not an ideology. And then, really, this whole sermon this morning and the goal of today is to kind of summarize what we've been talking about all year and, and introduce what uh, Mark's going to preach in the next three Sundays, right? Uh, the, uh, the truth is we need grace. You know, whole year we've been talking about grace and truth, and, and this we're wrapping it up with the truth is we need grace. Just like when I was that little boy, I needed my parents to come into the room. We need to have Jesus come into our lives and every part of our lives. And if you remember, I actually shared this here back in January, if you were here. Uh, and this is a way to understand uh, this, the tension. Remember the tension I described? That uh, between lawlessness and legalism, between grace and truth. <clears throat> and this is just a, just a way to think through. Th- Actually, you can apply this to people. Apply this to yourself. You can apply this to ideas. You can apply this to churches, the way uh, organizations operate. They can either be high grace or low grace. And they can be high truth or low truth. So there's a spectrum, uh, uh, a range. <clears throat> and um, what the way you think through this is that some people, they don't have much grace. In other words, they're, they're, there's, there's not much um, love, there's not much mercy, there's not much uh, belief in the empowerment for change. They're just kind of low on grace. Uh, maybe they're, uh, they're, they're, they're down on themselves, down on the world, or, or you know, down on everything. <laughs> and then they don't understand the truth. And so they're not only low on grace, but they're low on truth. They don't understand the reality of, of God's word and God's promise. Maybe they've heard things or they've, thought, they've heard you know, preachers on TV and it just made them feel bad. And, and so it's like they don't want anything to do with that. And what that leads to is a life of apathy. Right? They're just apathetic because like they don't know anything and they don't care. You know, it's like, why bother? And often those people end up stuck in depression or they turn to addiction. Uh, or they turn to some other substance or some other uh, codependency to, uh, because they just don't have anything to, to get traction with. You know, and then you have people that have a lot of grace they understand love. They, they want to be nice. They, maybe they had loving parents, but they don't know the truth that God calls us to live in. They don't understand the reality that, you know, bad behavior leads to destruct, uh, destru- uh, destructive influences in your life and, and, and destructive influences in the society. And so, but they want to be loving, you know, and so they become more permissive either with themselves or with others. You know, God is love. God loves everyone. So it doesn't really matter what you do. 
You can do whatever you want because God's love is so great. He died on the cross for all of our sins, right? Yeah. So you can go do whatever you want, right? No! Because doing sin is destructive behavior that leads to breakdown in yourself, in your body physically, in your family, in society. And so they, they end up in the permissive quadrant. <clears throat> you know? And then, then you have, this is where a lot of churches uh, and Christians uh, fall into, is this, this area here. Right? Especially in, uh, it really it doesn't really matter where you're at, but uh, we have the fortunate uh, blessing of having access to truth. You probably have more Bibles in your house and some countries in the world have. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. I don't even know how many Bibles I have. I've got like 30 on my phone. <laughs> so we know a lot of truth, a lot of information, but if we don't understand the power of God's grace and, the, and we uh, hear uh, those commands as demands and that you're always uh, under this judgment and condemnation and the only thing uh, you are reminded of when you go to church or when you hear something from uh, Scripture is how bad you are or how sinful you are, that just falls into that condemnation. You may know the truth, but you don't have grace. And the goal is to move up in the area where you have a lot of grace and you have a lot of truth. And that's where you experience love, all right? Where there's true uh, uh, a lifestyle of love. So, based on what we've been talking about and how uh, salvation or the good news is the message that Jesus came to take our sins we, he, and to give us his righteousness, based on the idea that uh, um, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are to be one with Jesus Christ, I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Is that all right? <clears throat> so, how might we? Encourage, how might we move or encourage someone else to move toward Christ-like love from the permissive? Say we, say we have an area in our life that we're overly permissive or we know someone that's, that's they're too, they, they fall in that quadrant, they're permissive. They just let, you know, it's like, yeah, I love a guy, yeah, I know this isn't right, but you know, nobody knows. What might you do to influence yourself or someone else from permissive? Pastors are not allowed to answer. I have a laser beam. It's so hard for us not to say something. I think that's a wonderful answer, okay? Uh, because it's relational, yep. not just informational. You know, you have to be with that person so that they see living a life, hopefully, of truth, they see your example is actually better than living a life where you just do whatever you want, thinking it's okay, and then suffering the consequences of addiction or, uh, you know, bad behavior or whatever. Yeah, so spending time is a great way. One other before we go to the next. Somebody else? Uh, I think really realizing that love doesn't always look like agreement. Mm -hmm. Because 
not say something you know in the fear of offending someone mm -hmm. but loving someone sometimes is saying something when you see you know a bad or destructive habit so yeah just recognizing that love doesn't always look like agreement yeah you know, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I was listening to a, a teaching yesterday, and it was a, a, a man who's a CEO of a company, and he said he realized that uh, he didn't like to confront people under him when they were not meeting goals or standards, and he just didn't like doing it. And so he'd put it off. And, uh, <clears throat> and so they wouldn't get better, and, and the, you know, and he would just put it off and put it off until he was so upset he'd fire him. Because <laughs> he thought he was being nice. <laughs> but it, and he, what he realized was that that was selfish of him. That he had, to, he had to be willing to suffer the discomfort of them misunderstanding uh, that his goal was not just to criticize them, but to improve them, to make them better employees. And so that really challenged I think that's exactly what you're saying. Like you gotta, you gotta break through that barrier and go, I hope you take this the right way. So did Jesus risk a little uh, hurt by coming to the world to tell us that we're doing things wrong? Yeah, he took it to the cross, he died for it. So he was willing to suffer the pain and the rejection to communicate truth, and we need to also uh, be willing to go, hey man, the way you're living, you know, there's a better way. But, but not in a way that brings them down into the condemnation. That's the, that's the tricky part, right? And I think the two of those, those two examples are great. How about going from the apathetic uh, to the loving? Now, if you're stuck in the apathetic, you don't really care. <laughs> How might you move yourself or move someone else? They've given up. They're depressed. No hope. What's something you might do different than these first two answers? Do you have some? Mm -hmm. So engagement, I like the words engagement and, and accountability, all right? And that you don't, you know, they may have given up, but you don't give up on them. And you keep going back and say, you encourage them a little bit, you know? And, and that's what people need if they're stuck in a rut. They're not going to just get out and be hunky-dory, you know, by, you know, hey, Merry Christmas, you know, Jesus loves you. Oh, great, wow, man, that, saved, that changes everything. Wow, I wish I'd realized that earlier. No, you know what? It's a, sometimes people, you spend a lifetime digging the rut. Sometimes it takes years to get out of that rut. But what's another way? So they don't know any truth, and they don't really understand grace. What do they need to know? How would you do that? It's a practical way. Uh, I think I think trying to trying to um, help them understand that there's there's not the 
everyone's being empathetic. I think they're, they're probably, uh, I guess I was making an assumption, but I was assuming that they're under a lot of pressure to, to get it perfect. And it's like there's almost too much weight, and it almost seems like it's, it's uh, not possible. And so, because like no one wants to be apathetic, like no one actually truly deep down wants to just be this glum, you know, I'm sure, sure they're unhappy. Um, and so I think try and find a way to, whatever is going to be different for different people, but find a way to, to relieve some pressure of getting it all perfect and releasing the performance would then allow them to actually like stand up and try. Mm -hmm. So the weight isn't too much to actually. Right. And so that's, that's kind of moving them up on the grace scale, sure. you know. Uh, and especially if you're really burdened by perfectionism, you, you, often you fall into condemnation. Yeah. But then when you don't have grace for that, you just go into the yeah. apathy. So, yeah, absolutely. That, uh, but, but I think wh what you're saying there is that they need to understand what grace is and, and understand that, you know, what God's calling you to is not perfectionism, uh, but a right understanding of truth, you know. And so you need to bring them. And it could be as simple as, you know, sharing something you learned from Scripture or something you learned in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, just telling someone, you know, I was, I was uh, really discouraged and I, I heard Jesus say to me, you know, that he loves me and that, that I'm not, he hasn't given up on me. You know, for us in this room, the Christians, it's like, oh, that's, that's like, yeah, I understand that. But for someone who's out there and not around this, Wait, wait a minute, Jesus said something to you? Oh yeah, Jesus talks to me every day. And he, he has never stopped talking. He, would you like to learn how to hear his voice? What do you, you know, like, that's like, are you crazy? <laughs> no, it's true. But we can give them truth about grace that moves them. And, and sometimes, you know, it's just like getting an invitation to something that's great. It's like, you know, Cinderella giving up and being in the drudgery of life, but finding out that there's a way for her to go to the, the ball, right? And to be a princess. <clears throat> it's like there's hope. And so the truth about God's wonderful grace imparts hope for the people stuck in apathy and, and, and depression. Okay, last one. Condemnation. They're condemned. Get, they know a lot of truth, but they don't understand grace. <clears throat> a friend that calls this, um, what does he call this? Prison theology? Something like that. There's a word, because he works with um, a lot of uh, um, addicts and um, people who've been in the prison system. And there's this, they often know a lot of scripture. I was with another guy in England, and he also has a ministry for homeless people, and a lot of the homeless people are either addicts or they've been in jail, and they get saved in jail. And these guys could rip off scriptures, you know, ten times better than I could. Like, they just memorized all the scripture. But their life wasn't changed. <laughs> we'd have the service, and we'd go outside and talk with them, and they're all smoking cigarettes right outside the church. We had, to t we had to take a break so that they can go have a smoke before we go back and have the rest of the service. <laughs> but while they're out there, the guy was telling, quoting scriptures and telling me about his favorite preacher. You know? 
And I knew that he was going to, he was already a little tipsy. He was condemned. He knew a lot of truth, but he didn't have access to the power to change. How are you going to move that? There's a part of your life that you know you're not supposed to be doing, or you know you're supposed to be doing, but you're not doing it. And you feel condemned about it. You feel guilty about it. You feel shame about it. What, what do you mean by it? Um, grace. Okay. Either receiving grace from somebody else if they didn't expect it from mm-hmm. or being able to offer it if they can't see it first. Does that make sense? Yeah. So just an experience that, hey, it's great you know the information. Here's the experience. And what, what I encourage people to do is in the moment of being tempted or even in the moment where you succumb to temptation. All right? If you're succumbing to temptation, if you're tempted to gossip and you know you're not supposed to, but you find yourself talking to someone about somebody else that you know you're not supposed to be saying this, that's when you cry out to Jesus. You're tempted to look at pornography and you resist it, resist it, but then there's you're alone and then you give in. I mean, while it's right there on the screen, you say, Jesus, you're here, help me now. And if you experience that, if you call upon him in that time of need, you'll experience him. Or, yeah, ex- uh, uh, being that for someone else. Because we're supposed to be the fullness of grace and truth in the world, right? So that means we're supposed to be the influence of Jesus in other people's lives. So somebody sins, you don't just hammer them. You accept them and welcome them back into relationship. Not in a permissive way, but in a loving way. Actually, what I'm going to be preaching in... In, uh, well, I'm going to be preaching. I don't want much to be preaching. <laughs> there's, there's this whole book about how uh, it, it's, it's when someone makes a, an error, makes a mistake, um, it's, it's being able to remain in community through the restoration process that brings about change. And just declaring, you know, sentencing them and sending them to prison never produces change. All right, and so yeah, that's how you move someone from knowing truth into an actual lifestyle of living it. And so the Christian life, the life of a Christian and the gospel is meant to constantly produce, and and I really mean constantly, throughout your whole life, personally, as well as in your interactions with others. And the goal of church is to produce this influence to move people from the condemning, from the apathetic, from the permissive areas into an understanding of more grace and more truth so that they can experience more of the love of God.